The scripture reading will be Acts 5:27 to 32. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior, that he may be bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has, give, has given to those who obey him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mark. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see y'all. Um, we got an Easter crowd tonight. We had a good long weekend last week. We had Friday. We had a bunch of people hanging out in that hallway for Stations of the Cross, folks in the neighborhood, our folks, Freeman Heights folks. Saturday, um, we worshipped in here, but we also worshipped here Friday night. Can't forget that. Good Friday, Freeman Heights. That was a good time. And then uh, Sunday morning, partying together. That was a great, great time. So tonight, we pick up a new series, and the series is called Risen, Living Life in the Risen Christ. It's kind of like, hey, Easter was great, now what? Now we're back at church, and it's hot in here, because I think something went haywire with the AC, and uh, I think summer is encroaching upon us, or at least it feels like that in here. So we're going to suffer in the name of Jesus, because He is alive, and we are still alive. Now may we be awake. Sound good? Before we get into this passage that Brother Mark just read, uh, I would invite you just to take a deep breath, just to maybe quiet yourself if you like to, maybe close your eyes, maybe for the first time all day. I was running around all day, maybe you were running around all day, so we just want to invite you maybe to pray this sentence or two, because I've got that song that we were just singing uh, rattling in my head and in my heart. So I'd invite you to just take a deep breath and breathe and pray this way. Abba, I belong to you. Just quietly in your head, in your heart. Breathe in. Abba, I belong to you. And then Lord, remind us of the scripture that says, perfect love drives out fear. So I invite you to pray this prayer. Let your love liberate me from fear. And we say amen. All right. I'm so glad to be with you all tonight, to worship with you all tonight, to be God's people together. We're going to look at that chapter or that section in the book of Acts, so I'd invite you to grab a Bible, uh, and if you don't have one, that's okay, because there are some in front of you. If you've got it on your phone, I invite you to swipe there now. We're looking at Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32 tonight. How many of you Providence folks read that today? Well, you don't have to raise your hands. The day is young, you still got time. This was part of our Lent for Everyone reading that we're doing. Yes? Today was the last day 
So congratulations to you who through the whole season of Lent read along with millions of Christians throughout the world reading the same texts in the Gospel of Luke, in Psalms, and this week in the book of Acts. I hope that that was something that was a blessing to you. I hope that helped you get into the Easter mindset even more than you would have been maybe if you weren't reading along with your brothers and sisters in this church and the world over. Those texts that we've been reading are from a thing called the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, if you're like me and grew up in churches, I had never heard of the Revised Common Lectionary. But what it is, is it's a way of mapping out Psalms and Gospels and New Testament readings, Old Testament readings for all kinds of denominations. And so in our new series that we begin tonight called Risen, Living Life in the Living Christ, Easter's Here, So What? I've taken, totally cheated, and just grabbed scenes from the book of Acts that all the church will be reading and praying for the next six weeks in this season. Because Easter is not just a day, Easter is a season. And tonight, and in this series, I hope that we're going to see that Easter is not just a holiday or a season, it's an everyday reality. And because Jesus is alive, we are alive, and His life is in us, and our life is in Him, and we've got a job to do. So as we get into our time tonight, I'm going to give kind of an brief little introduction to where we're headed, and then we're going to talk about that passage in Acts, and then in a little bit, I'll wrap up, we'll sing again, and then we're going to have a really neat opportunity during this sermon series as a church to bless some kiddos half the world away. So uh, that's coming, Lord willing, down the pike. So how many of you watched the Super Bowl this past year? Oh, I see a lot of confused non-sports faces, yes? Well, what happened in the Super Bowl, I don't think it happened this year, but I think it's happened enough that even if you're not a sports fan, you're, you're going to know what I'm about to say, okay? At the end of the Super Bowl, some people track down the MVP, and they say, so-and-so MVP, you've just won the Super Bowl, you with me? What are you going to do next? Ready, church? What do they say? I'm going to Disney World. That's a good church folk way to say it. We're all hot. We don't have drums tonight. We're just, we're going to Disney World. They shout it. They shout it. Why? Because they feel good. Because what they're basically saying is, I've done it. I've reached the peak, the pinnacle. Now it's time for a vacation. And what's hilarious is probably these multimillionaires ain't dragging their kids through Disney World. Yes? But okay, they're going to Disney World. Basically, I've made it. Now it's time for a vacation. And I got to thinking about this series. I got to thinking about our church. I got to thinking about Jesus. And I wondered if you had tracked Jesus down in this Easter season that the church celebrates, that 40-day lag time after he comes out of the tomb victorious... And before he ascends, is what the scriptures say, to go to the right hand of the Father, he's got these 40 days, and I wondered if somebody tracked Jesus down and said, Jesus, you just saved the world. You've defeated sin and death and Satan. What are you going to do now? Well, let me tell you, in 2,000 years, there's going to be this really rock and roll place called Disney World, and it's going to be overpriced cookies and hotels and the whole thing. I'm going to flash forward in time and go there. 
what Jesus said, what do you think he would have said? Well, I'm going to retire and go out on top. Well, I'm going to just take all these disciples and all these people who have been following me up to heaven. I'm just going to disappear. Is that what he said? No. What he said was this, and we looked at it last week at Easter. Actually, he didn't say it. An angel said it. But I imagine Jesus would, too. He said, I am going ahead of you. I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. And then Luke tells us in his next book, Acts, that we're going to look at this evening, that Jesus spent this time with them, telling them about the kingdom of God. He was preparing them. Why? Because it wasn't time for a vacation. It was time to get out there, to get after it, and to actually put Jesus' victory into effect. Because he didn't just suck all these people up to heaven. And so that's when I think about so often in our world, we have a Disney World spirituality. I grew up in a church that was basically your soul is going to live forever. And after five minutes after you die, you're going up or you're going down. And so behind that, as a teenager, I'm thinking, well, dadgum, man, wouldn't the best thing be for me to accept Jesus as my Savior, to say I'm yours, to be saved, and then get hit by a bus and go straight up to be with him? But why aren't people doing that? Why aren't we gathering and sipping Kool-Aid and saying, so long, world, you stink? Because that's not what life in Christ is about. What, it, what life in Christ is about is continuing to do what Christ showed us to do, but to do it with Him. Acts, this book we're looking at, begins with a new beginning. Look what Luke writes in the very first verse of his book, Acts. Look at this, Acts 1, 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy person that Luke was writing to. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's basically saying, Jesus part one, the book we know as Luke, was everything Jesus began to do and teach. Now, wait a minute, this is confusing, because if you read further down in Acts, Jesus bloop, ascends and disappears. But we still have 28 chapters of Luke's second book. Why? Because what follows in Jesus' people are the things that Jesus will continue to do. Not bodily like he did in Luke, but through them in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon these people and wakes them up and drives them out because they've got work yet to do. This ain't no Disney World spirituality. This is a spirituality that says God's kingdom is come, it is coming, but we have got to work with him to make it, this world here and now more like heaven and less like earth because Jesus is alive and he ain't done. So in Acts 1.11 after Jesus ascends, some more angels show up and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This series is not a series where we're going to look into the sky and wait for the blessed day we fly away and go to heavenly Disney World. 
this series means, or hopefully we'll see in this first church, these men of Galilee standing there with their mouths open looking at the sky, we're going to see them put their heads down, look ahead, and walk in the power of Jesus because if he's alive and I'm alive, I'm living in him and we've got a job to do. Listen to what N.T. Wright says in this book that we've been reading together. The resurrection doesn't mean we can now sit back and say, oh, that's fine. So we haven't got anything more to do except wait for our own resurrection. If the resurrection has launched God's new creation, God's kingdom in its new mode, then we've got a job to do, a real job, a job to do with today's actual reality. The thing about being a disciple of Jesus is we choose to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. And if Jesus is alive and we're trying to be with him because he's alive, we're trying to learn from him because he's alive and he can teach us, we're trying to be like him, with him, then that means that your job that you will wake up and go to becomes in some ways his job. Yes? Your life has become his life. But more importantly, your job is his job and your life is his life. This is what the New Testament after Easter keeps saying over and over again. And if you don't believe me, let's take a breakneck tour through Paul who met the risen Jesus and was convinced that Disney World ain't going to cut it. We got a job to do. Let's look with me. You don't have to flip in your Bibles, but if you're writing notes, you'll see the text that I'm after. We're going to read them because I want us to be convinced that our life is his life. His life is our life. I am one in whom Christ dwells. You are one in whom Christ dwells. He goes with you. You go with him. And it's not just our life. It's the new life, the resurrection. Somehow, mysteriously, we're caught up in. Let's start this quick tour as we're intro in this series in Romans chapter 6. I had to memorize Romans chapter 6 when I was in seminary. And it is a rock and roll chapter. You should maybe put that up on your bathroom mirror too. But one of the great verses of that great chapter Verse 4 says this, We were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's Paul's way of saying we can live a life because Jesus is still alive and we're united to him. Look at Romans 8, 11. Write down Romans 8, 11. So, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Is the spirit of God, if you're in Christ, living in you? Shake your head yes. Okay, so if this is true, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Why? Because of his spirit who lives in you. Does the spirit of God, if you're Christ, live in you? Shake your head yes, if you are in him. And this means that because he lives, you will live. Ephesians 2, verse 6. We're united with him. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We may do well to look a little bit up and realize that all the things that are bugging us out on this earth 
are things that we do not in fear and not alone, but we are somehow mysteriously united with Him who is with His Father, who's given us the Spirit. And all of a sudden, it can shift our perspective when we begin to see and say, I have been raised with Jesus. What if you woke up in the morning and said, I have been raised with Christ. What if you woke up in the morning and after you said that, you said, I am one in whom Christ dwells. I am one in whom the Spirit of God dwells. I am a beloved child of our Heavenly Father. This would begin to wake us up to this unity we have with the risen Christ. But Paul keeps going. Every letter he writes, he wants to talk about this mess. Look at Philippians 3, verse 10 to 11. I want to know Christ. Can we say these words with Paul? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and even the participation of His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want my life to look like His life because He's alive and He's living in me and I live in Him. Colossians 2.12, y'all still rolling? Colossians 2.12 says this, We've been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. That sounds like Romans. If you died with Him, you've been raised with Him. This is why we baptize people. You've been buried with Jesus, and you've been raised with Him to walk in new life. This old world is not your world. You are in this world, but you are pointing to a new world, a new life that Christ has won for us. Last verse, Colossians 3.1. This is one of them perspective verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Everybody take a deep breath. Leave that verse on the screen and consider that when we set our hearts on the Christ who's alive, it recolors and retouches our life here on earth. And the more we set our hearts on things above, the more we drag them into our jobs and our lives and our relationships and we see them in power begin to manifest in a new life, new creation sort of way. And I want to tell you, it ain't rocket science. I really do want to tell you that because you've already been raised and Christ is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. All we need to do is not rocket science, but tap into this, wake up to this. And maybe we can see that in these early Christians who hit that so hard. And we're going to see that our life is a part of the new creation. Their life was a part of the new creation that has come and is to come. Let's look at this focus statement here tonight. Living, or the life in the living Christ, guys, isn't just something to be believed. It's something to be lived. Your life matters. The resurrection matters, not just on Easter Sunday. It matters today. It matters tomorrow. Does it matter when you die? Yes, but it matters all the days before you die because you right now, little old beautiful cute you, has been swept up into God's new kingdom, new creation that is coming. 
and will come fully, and you get to participate with that. So where we're headed in the next few weeks is we're going to look at these characteristics, you with me, of a resurrection life. These scenes that we pulled from that lectionary in Acts that um, are characteristics of this church. We see boldness. That's what we're looking at briefly tonight. That's the starting place. If you'd rather the word confidence, we can use confidence. Because if Jesus is alive and you've been raised with him, why should we be a slave to fear? Do you know what the number one most repeated commandment in Scripture is? Does anyone want to venture to guess? It's three words. Genesis to Revelation, the thing that shows up more than anything. Y'all know what it is? It ain't love your neighbor. It's do not, oh my goodness. Four words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Every angel on the scene, do not be afraid. If we call that a commandment in Scripture, do not be afraid, we can realize that it's important to live without fear. These people in Acts and why we start with boldness tonight, this characteristic of a resurrected life, it starts here because these were people who a month ago in their time, a month after Jesus was raised, they were cowering in fear but now they become bold folks. So we'll get to the rest of these in due time. Uh, one of them is going to be a communal meal, so that's why we have five and not six for the next six weeks, but that's where we're headed. Y'all with me on the train? Y'all awake? Y'all cool enough? All right. Hallelujah. Let's do an old school revival. Everybody get their fans and their Bibles going, waving, okay? All right, let's look at Acts chapter 5, briefly, verses 27 to 32. We're going to see this characteristic of confidence, of boldness in these people who are afraid, but they are no longer afraid. They are no longer slaves to fear. Read with me. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you got it on your phone and Bible, track with me, okay? Verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now that Sanhedrin is like a Jewish religious supreme court. Okay, So they're standing trial in front of these dudes. Verse 28. This is what the high priest says. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Don't you like how he doesn't even say Jesus' name? He says this name. This name, the one who shall not be named. Yes? Yet... You guys have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Which is ironic because a month before the events we're reading tonight, when Jesus was on a trial himself before the Sanhedrin, Matthew tells us they said, hey, his guilt, his blood is on us and our children. They were cool with taking the guilt. But now, a month has passed, and Jesus' fearful little followers have been gathered back. And what did they say they've done? Do you all see it? They've filled Jerusalem with their teaching. What is their teaching? What are they doing? What's the backstory? These people have filled Jerusalem, and these Sanhedrin religious folks as this section begins in verse 17, 
They were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Why? Let me give you some backstory. In Acts chapter 3, these apostles who are now before the Supreme Court, they see a guy who cannot walk. Do y'all remember what happens? He says, I don't have anything to give you, brother. I don't have McDonald's or silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, right? That's the name that shall not be named. You with me? So they start off bold and say, I'm going to, in the name of Jesus, command you to get up and walk. And he does. And this caused a big stir, as you might imagine, because typically I don't see people who can't walk just hop up and start walking all of a sudden. But there was something about this name. And so they begin to have these people who are amazed that Jesus, who was crucified, is still somehow powerful among them. Even his name, there is something going on here. So, the religious establishment, this Sanhedrin folk, they say, okay, enough of this. They're filled with jealousy is what Luke tells us. They're disturbing the peace, so they put all these dudes in jail. Okay? Then, they release them and they say, okay, don't go doing any of that name of Jesus stuff. That's what he's referencing here. Y'all with me? So, what do they do? They just went home and they said, well, dang, that stinks, dude. I mean, we got to obey the law, right? I can't preach, right? No, no. This is what they do. They all go to their house. They all go to their church gathering. And look what Luke tells us. They pray and they sort out what God is up to. And look at what they pray. Oh my goodness, if we prayed like this. Look what they say in verse uh, 29 to 31 of chapter 4. This is the backstory. okay? It's on the screen, this one. They said this. Maybe they did. This is why I bring my Bible up here. Okay, it says this. Consider these people's threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Y'all see it now? Y'all believe me that I'm not making this up? So they're told not to go preach. And what they're not praying for is that the persecution and suffering would stop. What they're not praying for, listen, is not that hellfire would come down on these people and that the people who are persecuting them would just be wiped off. What they're not praying for is that they would elect their man in the office. There was no office to be won. What they're not praying is, God, should we listen to them? Should we not preach? Should we not do this? What do these dudes pray? Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then, because Luke is telling us a story of everything that Jesus began to do, you with me? He says, they pray, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? Spoke the word of God boldly. They said, God, give it. And then they went out and they lived it. Because that rhymes. 
They prayed, God, give us boldness, and he gives them boldness. But they don't just get it downloaded from heaven. They actually get up off their feet, and they said, stretch out your hand. But here's the crazy part. Stick with me. When they get out into the street, who's speaking? They are with the Holy Spirit. When they stretch out their hands, who's healing? Jesus through Peter. This is the resurrection life. The life you live is a life in the Christ who lives. Now, raise your hand if you've caused somebody to get up and walk that's never been able to walk. I pray for you guys every week. I pray for you guys today. Got that nice little pictorial directory that Sid Kiesler turned out. And I still see a lot of sickness. I still see a lot of hurt. But... We continue to pray, we continue to trust, and we continue to know that Christ's presence is in us, among us, and even through us. And we should be expectingly praying that he will continue to do amazing things because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that was with Peter and these apostles who were doing these bold things, is the same spirit in you, me, and us today. But they're participating with him. They are boldly going in Jesus' name. So the backstory, we're back after it. They get arrested again because they're still doing this stuff they were told not to do. Then they get thrown in jail. An angel comes and unlocks the jail cell. That's pretty awesome. If you got an angel on your team, don't worry about jail, y'all, because he's just going <laughs> to let you out. So this angel, Luke tells us, lets these guys out and they say, go to the temple and tell everyone about this new life. So they say, well, I can't do this, man. I've already been arrested twice. It's bad on my record. They go to the dang temple and they start to preach about the new way, just as they said, because they've got a job to do. So the Sanhedrin goes and finds him in the temple. They bring him before the Supreme Court kind of thing again. And that's where we're at, up to speed in Acts chapter 5. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Boldness is saying to the powers that be, there is a new power. And so what does Peter say? Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And I think this is an incredible prayer. If you want to wake up in the morning and add it to your list of I'm one in whom Christ dwells, or Abba, I belong to you, add this one. I must obey God rather than human beings. Because I think it's not just boldness in obeying and going out and showing and speaking uh, that God's power and God's kingdom has come. It's also a boldness in disobedience. Y'all know that St. Martin Luther King Jr. is just, uh, he works his way into every like sermon, every other sermon I preach, right? He showed us supremely how to obey God rather than men. Can anyone in this room think that the men who put these laws into place was new kingdom kind of laws? Kingdom of God kind of laws. No. But what they did was a civil or kingdom disobedience. And they did it like Jesus without picking up swords, guns, or violence. They were bold in their obedience to Jesus to preach and display the reign of God. But they are also bold in their disobedience. 
And here's why it's so powerful. Because they didn't care about the consequences. Is this the last time that Peter and all the apostles are arrested? No. But I think they focused so much more on the life of Jesus rather than the death that Jesus defeated. When I feel fear, when I feel worry, it's because I have lost my perspective and maybe it's because we focus more on the death that's been defeated than on the life that has been promised. Now, I told you about I grew up with Disney spirituality. I'll fly away, oh glory, right? This was a very heaven-centric spirituality. So, when I went the pendulum the other way, and I said, it ain't just about going to heaven when you die. Well, I began to not focus on that so much. And I began to fear death. I began to fear the life without my girls or leaving my girls. And, and I just began to focus so much on death. I focused so much on pain that I lived in avoidance of pain. Now, this isn't wrong. Because I want all of you to live. But we can live in boldness and not in fear when we realize that our king has defeated sin, has defeated death, has defeated Satan. And we need to put way more stock there than we do in death. When we baptize people, when we talk to people about baptism, we use this phrase, you're ready to be baptized if you're ready to die for Jesus. So, we have, and I can't say this much on the recording, but you know we have people that are serving in places that are persecuted, in difficult places. For them, it is a reality in places in our world for centuries for people to be brought before a court like this put a gun to their head and say, renounce the name of Jesus or we'll kill you. And what happens is they say, nope, they're killed, and somehow the church explodes and continues on. Because death is not the last word. Jesus gets the last word, and he said, death, you're going to the grave. So we say, when you're ready to be baptized, it's when you're ready to die for Jesus. Now that may not be a reality, but it is a reality that we want to live into where Jesus says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay? Can we baptize a young person? Yes. I was baptized when I was young. Can we baptize old people? Yes. We've done it in pools, horse troughs, lakes, you name it, this church has done it. We will baptize you. But are you ready to die for Jesus? Is your heart disposition to say, I value his life more than my death? Because if you can say amen, then you're ready to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. That's baptism, entering into that new life. These people have done it. They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. They've been baptized with water. And they are witnesses of the God they are going to obey, not human beings. Look at verse 30. Here's this God that I'm talking about. Verse 30, as we start to wind down. The God of our ancestors. Now this is crucial. Who's Peter talking to? Y'all remember? That Sanhedrin? They are Jewish leaders. 
Is Peter Jewish? Yes. Peter is one who has the first half of our Bibles, the Old Testament. He knows it backwards and forwards, just like the Sanhedrin does. But the difference between the Sanhedrin and the difference between them and Peter is that he sees our God finding his fullest manifestation in Jesus of Nazareth. The difference between Sanhedrin and Peter, the difference between Jews today and the people who follow Jesus the Nazarene, they say the God of Israel is the God who has brought his rescue plan out of Israel, and not just for Israel, but for the whole world. He's Israel's king that's become the world's king. Y'all with me? So Peter says, our God raised this Jesus from the dead. And just so there's no qualifications, this is boldness defined. If you looked up in Webster's and had the definition of boldness, it would say, when Peter said to these Jewish leaders... Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Didn't they say earlier, this is why we're so mad at you? Because you keep trying to blame us for this killing this Jesus guy? They're backing off? Our God raised that Jesus from the dead. And not only that, verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand. What he means is this, Israel's king is God's king. The world's king. He's at the right hand. He is what? Prince and Savior, that he might what? Bring Israel, our people, to repentance and forgive their sins. Here's the tough part. You missed it. You missed it. But I think if the Sanhedrin ripped their garments and said, we believe, we turn from our way, we get on God's new program, they would be forgiven. The Holy Spirit that was promised to Israel, to the world, would be theirs. But they didn't. They missed it. Because so often, we would rather have a relationship with religion than we would with God, who is on the move and calling us to new life. How many of us have gone through seasons in our Christian life where we have more relationship to the church than we do to the head of the church, Jesus? This is a question that is not meant to wig us out every time we gather in worship or on Wednesdays from kingdom meals. This is a question to say, am I ready to move when he moves? Am I ready to sacrifice the religiosity that I've embraced if it's not in line with what Jesus is up to? Peter finishes his brief speech. He says, we are witnesses of these things. He says, you killed him, God raised him. You rejected him, God vindicated him. Here's what they witnessed. Have you all seen those magic eyes? Did you, ever, did you ever, when you were a kid, do those magic eye puzzles? Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't put one up on the screen. Tracy knows what I'm talking about. It's like a wallpaper, some kind of tacky wallpaper you see in the old, well, in my old rent house that we ripped down. It's like this tacky wallpaper that you can't quite make. It just looks like a mess. But if you stare at it in just the right way, and I never could do this thing, so I'm told if you stare at it just the right way, what happens is the same picture you'd been staring at, and you were just so certain this is what it is, all of a sudden what happens magically, it's magic eye, 
something leaps off the page and you see what's really there. You see the image that was hidden. These people saw the image of the invisible God. They are witnesses that Jesus of Nazareth has been made king. He is the savior and ruler of the world. So they have a boldness in truth telling. They're bold in reality. And they proclaim a world in which Jesus is alive even though you killed him. And Jesus is still active even though you want to squash the movement. We are witnesses of these things. And not just us, if you're not going to believe us, so is the Holy Spirit. Well, I can't see the Holy Spirit. Aha, we're back to square one. Whom God has given to those who obey him. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit in the apostles and the brothers and sisters in the book of Acts as the same as all those in all the churches who claim Jesus, who are in Christ, is in us today. And we should expect power. We should expect God's presence in us, among us, not just when we gather, but even in our jobs, in our relationships, when we beg God to move and we beg him to let us live boldly. And if you're an introvert and you don't know about proclaiming the reign of God, you do that in every little conversation you have. It's soaked with kingdom potential. It's soaked with a choice to love at cost to yourself, even for the better of others. Even introverts can live in the reign of God. We need you too. If you're not going to go and preach like me or to your coworker on the lunch table and evangelize, that's fine because we need your hands to go clean up the mess of tornado that happened like we did. We need your hands to get into your pockets and feed all of these orphanages, orphans that we're going to talk about here in a moment. We need you to put your hands and feet every Monday or Sunday. You want to go feed some homeless folks? There are people in this church going here, there, and everywhere. We need your hands. We need your feet. But guess who needs it more than I do or our church does? Jesus. Because their prayer is still our prayer that we would have a boldness and we would say, Jesus, stretch out your hand and perform many healings, many miracles. And would you even, I don't know, do it through us? Because we have a job to do. And to live in Christ is not just something to believe and have a Disneyland. Oh, I'll fly away and one day I'll be raised. It is to be lived because his life is our life. Our life is his life. And we start with boldness because it's seeing the world in such a way where God's kingdom has come, it is coming, and it's coming the more we participate with Him. We are witnesses also of the risen Jesus who's making all things new. We've been raised, and the life we live, we live in Him. And it is vital to this world's renewal. We've got a job to do in our jobs. We've got his life lived in our life. And I'll close with this, what Paul says. One more text. Ephesians 5, verse 14. Oh, that we would wake up, O oh sleeper, that we would rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, Lord, we ask that you would shine on us in your glory, in your goodness, in your power, in your boldness that we would go from this place in our words and our actions declaring that Jesus is Lord and there is no other. That we are citizens first of your kingdom who happen to be citizens of the United States. 
And may our allegiance be to you. May we not even value our deaths above you. Because death has died. It will die. Because we can go straight to be with you. As we wait till you return and make all things new. Because you're not even going to waste our bodies. Our bodies will be raised one day just like yours. And death will be swallowed up. And darkness will be cast out. Only light. And until that day, may we live with you, our risen King, making more light in this darkness, in our neighborhoods, our families, and even the world over that you have given us an opportunity to reach. May we stretch out your hands, your feet, for you go with us and you're calling us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive our benediction tonight. I'll read it since I'm up here with a microphone. <laughs> oh Lord, as we go from this place, stir up a sense of your power in us, your power among us, and your power through us. For it is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. May we go forth asking, whom shall we fear? And boldly answer, no one. May we go forth proclaiming, He is risen. And boldly trust our King really is making all things new. In us, among us, and even through us. Go in peace. Love you guys. See you all later on.